And we're back for another episode of Smoke Signals. We have agreed to terms to do another podcast. That's between myself, Justin Latta, and Willie Hood. Willie, thanks for joining me again and agreeing to, or actually you made the, po- the podcast uh, outline today, so I agreed to your proposal, but thanks for uh, sending a fair one along. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to the proposal as it was laid out. There was a few tweaks in there. You, ne- you needed a few amenities. Yes, I did need a few amenities. And uh, of course, we can do this from home. We don't need to be traveling to do this or uh, <laughs> thanks to Anchor and, and such things. But uh, we do have some baseball news to talk about. And it's been an interesting week in the baseball world. I think it's only about to get more interesting. So the players apparently have a proposal. Um, it includes a lot of testing. I haven't read, I have not actually read the entire proposal yet. I'm not sure if you have, um, but there's a lot of interesting pieces to it uh, that includes testing and how they were, they would live and gameplay conditions, uh, spring training rules. I think what's going to really come down to, and, and this goes right into what we have on here is, is Blake Snell's comments. You know, it's going to come down to, Money, unfortunately, do the players have to sacrifice more money than they already have and also have to, this is, this is how I feel about it. Players are assuming coaches, I guess coaches and uh, the umpires are assuming, you know, all of the risk medically speaking here because the owners aren't traveling, obviously. So they're giving up money. They're the major league owners want them to give up money and they also want them to kind of bear the brunt of the risk of testing. And I think that's where the snag really hits. I think it's, it's about money, but it's also the fact that they have to give up money and kind of bear the brunt of the medical aspect of this. When you, don't you think so? Yeah. It, it seems like they are expecting the players to take a lot on themselves. Um, I think Scott Boris of all people may have given the best quote of the week. He said that the owners want to privatize the revenues and they want to socialize the losses. And I I thought that was a great line from, from Boris, from Boris. And he is good for, good for um, those one liners. Uh, He always has something to say, Uh, whether you like him, you hate him, you know, he's going to say something like that. And he spoke absolute truth. Um, now I, I want to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here, but before I do, I, I feel like the players have already assumed a significant loss. So have the owners, but the NBA players agreed to a 25% pay cut. So maybe the MLB owners have a, uh, precedence in major league sports to work from, um, we know the umpires have already agreed to, I think, a 30% cut. I'm not saying the players should take a pay cut. I, I feel like they already have. I, I also think that, you know, if there are no fans in the stands, that's opportunities to plaster those seats with more signage, more <laughs> sponsors. I, I mean, seriously, think about it. Fill the seats with signs and make your revenue up that way. 
because yeah. these games are going to be some of the most watched TV uh, in the summer because there's no other sports going on. WWE, I mean, that's wrestling sports entertainment, as it says. Uh, it can be entertaining to to a point, but those who are baseball fans and, and even if they're nominal baseball fans, will probably be watching and, and seeing a lot of advertisement if they will put advertisement in the seats instead of obviously there's not going to be any fans. So that would be a creative way for them to uh, make a little revenue. Yeah, that's um, an interesting way to go about it. I mean, they. I'm sure there are ways to, to go about it for sure, but I still think it's going to come down to how much of a pay cut they're being asked to take. I, I mean, well, if they already agreed to take a little bit less salary to begin with because of the season being pushed back before they knew what was going to happen. Um, I, it really just depends on how deep the cuts are going to be. Cause like you said, like, you know, you stated from Scott Boris, they want to pass the losses on to the players. They, like you said, they can, they can bring in more revenue streams with those ideas. Um, and push the digital side of things or put, like you said, push the signage maybe, but I, I think the players just want to know they're going to be getting the money they agreed to. I think that's what's going to come down to, unfortunately. And there's no, to me, there's no good spot for the player to be in right now, because if they, if they say that they can't agree because they're taking more of a pay cut, then the the player, you know, the player, or the owners can paint the players as greedy and even if it's a medical risk, I don't know. The, the players probably won't be able to get away from that. I guess is what I'm saying. Like I think the the play the the owners will be able to push on the players that it's about the money and not about the medical risk, because I guess it's kind of the balance of things. Like how much money is it worth to sacrifice the the medical risk here? But again, if they're going to bring in more advertising streams, like some other way. And, you know, baseball is going to have to find a way to lift their blackout rules. That's the other thing, too, is, you know, you do have local TV rights that need to be secured, and that's what owners are counting on. But you're not going to reach as many people with this. They Maybe this is the finally need to lift blackout restrictions on MLB TV and let more people watch locally who maybe don't have cable. So that way people's, you can claim that people's advertisements are, are reaching more people because – I think this is a time when people would be willing to buy an MLB subscription um, or MLB TV subscription if they have one available to them. If they're able to watch their favorite team, I think this is a time people would do that because they want to watch their teams, but they haven't in the past because of the stupid blackout rules. So that's another way to go about it too, I guess. Yeah, there's there's creative scenarios and options that they can go. And, and you know, what does this all even look like if play does resume, you know, I, I've heard these um, radical realignment discussions like the Indians playing against the Chicago Cubs and the White Sox and the Twins and the Reds and everyone being realigned to a geographical area, which makes sense because you want to minimize travel, uh, therefore minimizing exposure. But some some teams, I think, like uh, the Dodgers may not be able to play in California. Are they going to end up in Las Vegas or are they going to end up in Arizona? Um, are are some of the teams going to end up in Texas, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of questions to be answered here, just besides the tension between the owners and the players right now, too. For sure. Um, While we're on that, let me, but, let me ask you about that, too, because this is an interesting part of the discussion. 
let's let's say play does resume and the Indians are playing the AL Central and the NL Central only. How much of an advantage do you think they have? Because then they're they're still playing the Royals and the and the uh Tigers. They still play the Twins, the White Sox are still tough. But now you add the Pirates in, and then the NL Central is just a weird situation where the Reds might be really good, but we don't know. And the Cubs don't really have pitching. And the Pirate the Pirates are terrible. Like I said, the Brewers don't have much pitching or young. I'm just wondering, does that really benefit the Indians? Do they get a little boost by how I guess the NL Central is balanced, but no one not one team is really that good. And obviously we know the AL Central is Twins, Indians, and maybe White Sox as the only competitive teams. Yeah, you and I talked about uh, the NL Central whenever we did our preseason yeah. or our, our, our uh, predictions. And you, I think you had the uh, Reds in first place, and I had them in fourth place. And really what that shows is the, the, um, oh, the level playing field that the NL Central is. It, it's hard to say who has the edge there. I mean, I, I picked the Cardinals, if I remember right. I don't have my predictions in front of me. I think you did. Um, but to me, <clears throat> the, the Cardinals would probably be the other team I would be concerned about if I was the Indians. The, the other teams, you know, I, I think will be competitive. I think it would be competitive outside of a few teams, like the Pirates who, who are uh, rebuilding, the Tigers who are rebuilding. So you have you have a couple of teams, and I don't know where the Twins end up. Do they end up in the same division? What about the Astros and the Rangers? Um, you know, they seem to be more centralized. Do they end up out west? Do they end up in the central? I, I haven't quite seen how all of that's going to play out, too. So, you know, it, it could be a lot more competitive than you think, depending on where, say, the Astros and the Twins end up, too. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess they're going to do it by region or – what the best travel schedule is, but see, to me, it doesn't really matter. Like you said, yeah, you want to minimize travel. Okay. But getting on a plane and going and traveling inside an an airplane and going to another city, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's Cincinnati or if it's, you know, Houston, what's the difference. I mean, you still have to get in the airport and you still have to go to the airplane and, and travel and stay in a hotel out of town. I don't think it really matters what city it's in unless you're, end up avoiding a city that's got hot spots or spikes in cases or a bigger risk. Or like you said, if, if LA is not in LA and they're playing in Vegas or Arizona, which I don't think Arizona is an option in July. I'm sorry, but yeah, I just, I don't really know why, so, why the regional thing makes sense. Cause you're still taking the risk traveling anyway. So yes, you do have the uh, risk factor with the health concerns, obviously. Uh, but what you're doing in what you're doing is you're minimizing travel time instead of having a, a flight and then, then the um, jet lag and all of that afterwards, you may be able to go from, from uh, Cleveland to Detroit. And, you know, we're just talking a few hours of travel time there or from Cleveland to Cincinnati, again, a few hours, uh, Cleveland to Pittsburgh, a few hours that, that really helps with scheduling uh, back-to-back games. So if you're going seven, seven games a week of, uh, who knows, 10, 12 games before they get a day off. That would help uh, just minimizing the travel time for the players on, on that aspect. So, it. it's about convenience. so I think that is part of the, yeah, it's part of the thought process there about turnover time for the players and recuperation. Um, 
I, I think that's it. I do think that they think maybe it's about uh, minimizing exposure. You don't have multiple flights or you don't have multiple changes that they have to make. And I don't think that they are going to stop at a lot of cities anyway um, on the way from one from one place to another unless there's weather or something that's going to change that. And, and that's the thing, you know, what if you get all these Midwest teams and then we get a, a nice cold front come down from Canada that just rains on on the area for, you know, a week. Then you have a bunch of rain uh, makeup games to do. So uh, maybe it's not a, a genius idea, but it, I think it's a good idea to minimize travel for the players for their recuperation and for scheduling purposes. I tend to think that's probably where a lot of it lies, more so than probably health concerns. <laughs> um, maybe that's my skepticism there, but uh, you know, I mean, they're already assuming some um, some level of um, risk exposure, so to speak. And to me, that's where it comes back to use common sense. You go out in a public place, wear a mask, wash your hands, things like that. You know, they're asking these guys to be responsible for themselves and their entire family and everyone they come in contact with. And the only way to do that is to do the things I outlined, you know. Um, that's why they have a 67-page <laughs> um, manual, basically, that no player is going to read all of that. I, I wouldn't. I would just use common sense. Okay, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this. I'm going to minimize contact. Um, I, I think it, every well-laid plan still falters there's still weak points and you know there's a lot going on here there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh shifting sand for them to be able to get something established i love that they're trying to to get something done but really to me i, I question what's going to happen between the owners and the players and there's another factor here is you have the the cba expiring in 2022 so players want to play. They want to make money now because it gives them leverage to threaten a strike in 2022. And, and that has to be in the back of the players' minds. At the same time, they want to guarantee as much money up front. And that's part of why they want to make money now so they can leverage the owners later. Yeah, that's a really concerning part to all this, honestly, is that there could not be, there may not be a season in 2022 if they can't come to an agreement then. And I think everybody was kind of gearing up for, you know, a labor stoppage or work stoppage in 2022. I know I was um, just the way things were going. And I, I hate to see them try to combine the two because this is a unique situation. And there's already so many instances in baseball and, and life where the virus has been, the pandemic's been used to exploit things. And I would hate for this to be exploited on a base in baseball terms to influence the next CBA one way or the other. Um, I think it's a bad, I think it's not a good look. If they can't agree here on something, I don't think it's a good picture for 2022. And then, then you're talking about not having baseball in 2020, 2020, and then 2022. So in three years, you might have one baseball season. That's not great for the sport. And it would be rough for the sport's future. That's a it, it is. I think there's a lot of fans that would not come back from that. And, uh, I think that's why we either have baseball this year or we'll have baseball in 2022. I don't know which it's going to be, um, but I think it'll be one of them. I think they'll, I guess I'm, I don't know if I'm being optimistic or I'm hoping there'll be some common sense here that one of these two years, there's going to be a season because if I think they all realize if we think there is a major peril to the sport for not having a season two out of three years, then they must see that I would hope. 
So maybe that's just me being optimistic or hoping common sense wins out there. Um, I guess my only concern is, like you said, every, every plan has flaws. There's no perfect plan. And how much risk is, is there in restarting any kind of sport, I guess, like how, I guess it comes down to, it's not really, you know, is it safe to do this? Obviously I think in the end it's not safe. I think we know that it's not safe. I think we know that you're assuming risk no matter what, because this is, this hasn't gone away and it's not going to go away for a while now. I don't think so. It's not, it's not about, is it safe? I guess it's about how much risk are you willing to take to be able to make your money and, and play the sport. And I, I really, it really puts me in, a, it gives me some bad vibes and puts me in a bad mood concerning baseball and all sports really, because you're, you're basically negotiating a price on people. You're putting a price on how much, how much risking your health or someone else's health or whatever situation might end up presenting itself with this thing for how much money comes in for it. You know, you're putting, you're putting a price on all that. And it just, it's a really weird thing in humanity in 2020 to be thinking that I guess in my position. So I'm really glad I'm not involved in this and I don't have to do that because I really don't know what I would say because it's, it's very tough. Like there's a lot of money on the line here. I get it. And the players want their money because a lot of money would be coming in and the owners want to make money because there'd be a lot of money to be, to be lost if there's no season. Um, but like at the same time, like I said, owners, owners aren't the ones traveling, you know, owners might stand to make the money if the season happens and the players will make some of that, whatever they agree to. But remember who's getting on the airplane and flying and who's, you know, in a dugout with who and, and sharing a locker room with who, um, it's the players and the managers and the, and the, and the umpires. It's not the owners. The owners are, you know, in a, in a segment of the population that are older and, you know, may have some risk and won't travel. That's the thing I look at the most. So I guess for the players, it's up to how much, the, how much money is it worth it to take the risk? So my thought process starts going to, you know, what, what does, play look like and what does the rosters look like when and if play does resume um let's say things don't work out in july and they end up in august and they they end up having to do a lot of neutral site games later in the year um you know i i think they're i think that they are going to make sure there's some sort of season um what it looks like who knows at this point but but you know thinking about what does the rosters look like what does the um taxi squad composition look like and and before i even get into the indians roster and, and what that could potentially even look like i i want to draw out uh, carlos carrasco's health concerns so this hits home for us as as tribe fans we have someone on our team you know who's great in the community he's a good man great ball player and he's directly affected with health concerns right. for this is he even going to play this year i mean can he play next year even um if if this is uh, still very viable and active in our society, you know, and, and then when you th start th saying things like that, you realize how, uh, how this can really impact the sport because it may not only be Carrasco who has the health concerns, but it could be a number of other players around the league who have um, high risk potential. And um, 
risk for exposure that don't need to take that risk. So I could see guys sitting out, you know, and let's say it's a, a star player, you know, that, that uh, like a, a Mike Trout or uh, DeGrom, you know, there could be any number of guys around the league that we don't know anything about their health issues and their, their health concerns that end up not even playing. And how does that affect teams rosters? You know, with play coming back and, and potentially resuming, they've talked a number of scenarios, especially adding uh, players to the roster. One scenario I saw set up to 30 players with possibly 20 guys on a taxi squad. Then I started asking myself, who's going to be on a, on a taxi squad for the tribe? You know, that's yeah, that's a really good point. Obviously the rosters will be increased. And I did see something about Mike Trout talking about, or maybe it was somebody hypothetically mentioning him, but maybe it was him. And this is another good point of the situation is where do these players live? Where, you know, are they, are they going to be asked to be away from their family for four months or however it happens? That's all going to be factored in. Um, and you have a lot like Mike Trout is either had his first kid or he's about to, and you know, he's not going to want to be away from that for four months, but also have to be careful about exposure and coming back home to his kid too, you know, and getting his kid sick. So yeah, there, there's a lot involved there. Some people could, could sit the year out and, and it's hard to blame them. I, you know, if they do, it's hard to blame them. And, that really affects the composition. I mean, any season for the angels, not Mike Trout would be, it's already bad with him, even as good as he is. And I guess they're a little better now than they have been, but you're right. It makes things a lot worse for them. And at that point, it's like, well, we're not going to win anything, even in a shortened season without Mike Trout, probably um, the taxi squad and the whole roster thing is interesting. I thought, I think I read one that said it was possibly up to 50 players um, on the, on a team, it could be up to 50 players and oh, like you said, 30, yeah, 30, 30 man roster, 20 man taxi squad. So that would make sense why it would be 50. Um, if you're talking about your own players, you, do you, I mean, our team's going to go out and sign free agents. They don't have to use their own prospects. Like on the, for the Indians example, like Sam Henches and uh, Adam Scott or not Adam Scott, uh, Sam, uh, Scott Moss and Giancarlos Mejia on the Indians 40 man roster, you know, to the Indians and Tristan McKenzie, they have no major league experience, but they're on the 40 man roster because they had to be protected. Do they get used in a season like this or, you know, do teams go out and, and sign guys who are, have not been signed like, you know, Puig or I don't know any pitchers that are on the market at this point, maybe a, a James Shields or whatever, you know, I, I know he was looking at teams last year, but um you know, do teams go that route just so they have arms and don't have to expose their prospects? I mean, we talked about this before too, about do players get service time? Is this an exemption? Um, how is that paid? You know, cause you know, players get paid more if they're on the 40 man roster, regardless whether they're in the major leagues or not, you know, if they're in the major leagues, they have to get major league pay. But what does major league pay look like in 2020 with all this going on? And there's all these proposals, but then there has to be, you know, plans to support these proposals. And I'm assuming pay for these taxi squad players and um, how, how service time is worked out on that is going to be another sticking point in this negotiation. And that's why I just, I'm so skeptical about anything being accepted because service time is, and, and pay is already such a big fight, not having this going on, but then you add this into the equation 
you know, how is that fight going to turn out if they say, well, minor leaguers will get a certain amount of, you know, service time if they're on it, if they play a major league game, but not for being on the taxi squad or they only get service time for the games they actually play. You know, the players are going to want to fight that because that's, that's part of the free agent fight. So it's going to be a really tense negotiation to make this work. And I didn't realize how much the fight that they're having for the 2022 CBA ends up playing into this because of how unique the situation is going to be. Yeah, I, I think it comes into play now. I, I think the players do want to play. Um, maybe you have a group that doesn't want to play, but you know it's going to directly affect the the game um, whether they play this season or not. If they don't play this season, then I'm guessing that we won't have a work stoppage in 2022. But uh, if they do play, I, I think there's a 50-50 chance that there will be a work stoppage in, in 2022. And I really think the players want the leverage to, to do that. So I think we're going to have a, a season at some point, but it could take a lot of um, bickering back and forth. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm caught in between some of my kids sometimes because how all of this is playing out in the media. And, and I think it was Scott Boris or, or maybe even Tony Clark that pointed out how the owners are, are utilizing the media to kind of shame the, the players into not taking pay cuts, you know, trying to portray them as, as being greedy. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of risk for everyone here involved. And at the end of the day, I, I still think we're going to end up with some sort of season. Yeah, that's not new, though. I mean, player teams have always had the advantage of how they use the media to um, frame the narrative. Players generally just don't have the same level. Uh, I don't know if it's, if it's bad – training or the way that stories are framed or however it is. But I think historically, I think teams have a better time of using the media to make rumors work for them versus players uh, in a lot of cases. But I think it's changing in some respects, but I think in general, yeah, the the teams, because they can leak things (laughs) internally um, and not have any, any person attached to it, you know, it could be anonymous source from inside the team that mentions it. Um, whereas a player, you know, they might, they might say it anonymously, but for whatever reason, when it's one player anonymously, it carries less weight than, you know, the statement of a whole franchise possibly, or, or franchise is cause you know, a, you know, a reporter could say, well, three teams said this and you don't have to, you know, you don't identify what team or you do identify what teams you don't identify the person, but with players, if it's one or two speaking on the condition of anonymity, um, you know, it ends up carrying less weight, I guess, or that the way it's looked at. Um, because people are more likely to trust players when they say it themselves versus organizations when they say it as a whole, because you can at least attach a a face to it, I guess, if that makes sense. So that's nothing new. Organizations have always had the advantage of using media, I think, more than players for leverage. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm I'm trying to run through my head how all of this taxi squad <laughs> composition could even work out, and, and you know, there's a lot of factors here. So, does this include players that are beyond the 40 man roster? I mean, obviously, there's a gap between 40 and 50, so there's 10 players. 
will these guys get service time this year? How will that be accrued? How will it count? Is the taxi squad going to be kind of like a triple A AAA club where the guys train, but have to be called up? Um, you know, I could see that be, being one scenario where they're active and, and they're training and they're working out and they're getting paid um, possibly the same wages, but not getting the, not getting the time unless they get called up, so to speak. So maybe that's one way the, the players and the owners come to agreement on, on that aspect. Um, but I'm sure the players union will be pushing for uh, time, time served in the major leagues. And that's something that teams are probably not going to want to give some of their better prospects um, time right away, especially right now where, you know, uh, why expose these guys to the big leagues only for a, a short period of time that is going to count against their, um, you know, their arb clock later on. And, you know, with the uh, new CBA coming, I think you have even more uncertainty. Will players end up with five years to free agency? Um, will will all of this count for a, a higher salary later? So I, I tend to think, you know, teams will try to play conservative and um, look at guys who aren't going to be long-term pieces, maybe shorter-term guys, some guys that could be free agents right now or some guys that are, that are um, hanging around AAA and, who've had a cup of coffee at one point, uh, but have never really quite broken through. Yeah. Where do those guys play when they're not being used? How do they stay sharp? Um, like you said, service time. What about options? You know, if does it include options, they have to send them up or down on the tack, you know, if they're, if they're playing, if there is like some sort of triple a thing, you know, or the taxi squad, if you, if you add them to the roster, does that count as an option year? You know, all that stuff has to be hammered out, I would assume. So, there, like I said, there's a lot to agree on. I think you, you said you think there's going to be a season at some point. I I do think they'll try to do that just because there's a lot of money to be lost if they don't, which, again, I kind of hate having to, you know, come down to that. But there is a point there. It's a lot of money and a future uh, of the sport. I think there's just a lot to be hammered out. I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really on the fence on, on how this is going to work or not, to be honest. There's just so there's so much they didn't agree on to begin with, and now there's all these little wrinkles, you know, like like options and paying and um, arbitration and all this other stuff that could be factored in that, that, that makes it unique to baseball, unlike other sports. There's so many wrinkles they have to agree on. So I'll be interested to see what details about that come out after the health. If, if the players agree to the health aspect, you know, or the money aspect. I think all these things have to be <laughs> negotiated. And the other thing is too, it's not like, it's not like the union, the major league play, uh, players union has done a lot historically for the minor leaguers. So what decisions they make regarding guys who haven't been in the majors before. So let's say teams are allowed to use minor leaguers in the taxi squad. You know, you add a bunch of guys to call up and call down. They might say, well, no, this doesn't count towards service time, you know, just to get a deal done because they major players say, well, we got the money we wanted. We didn't, we didn't have to give up as much money as we, um, they were asking. We pushed back on that and we won, but in certain sacrifice, they say, well, you know, Sam Henches and, and, um, Tristan McKenzie, they, they can play the major leagues this year because of the taxi squad rule, but guess what? It doesn't count towards their service time because it's a weird year. And they might get, you know, 40 man money and they might get major league money for the time they played. But then they also screw them over and say, well, you didn't get service time out of it. Like I could see that happening because that's what major league baseball player association has done in the past. They've made negotiations that have benefited 
current mem- union members, and then they've done it at the expense of future major leaguers in the union that are still in the minors. I could easily see that happening, and that might be one of the ways. Of- so if you want to <laughs> – if you want to forecast uh, future behavior, look at previous past behavior. Right. That's usually a good predictor for, for future behavior. So I, I think we know how all of that plays out. Right. So that, that would make sense for them to do that. Like you wouldn't be surprised to hear them say, we got more money back for 2020, but we sacrificed service time that would the players would have earned this year, even in a weird year, because they're not part of the union. They don't get a voice. Yeah. Yep. I can see that happening. Now that we just said that I can totally see that happening. So maybe there will be a a season because, you know, they'll get their money and players will or owners and teams will agree to suppress service time in another way. <laughs> Speaking of somebody's gonna get what they want and and, and another party's gonna end up uh losing a bit. Let's put it that right, way. Right, which is usually how negotiations probably end up happening in a lot of respects, not just baseball but like you said past behavior dictates current and these are things that happened in the past speaking of drafts i don't know if you we've go we've already gone kind of longer we thought we were going to go but um mlb trade rumors is doing a, a series on uh, a hypothetical expansion draft i don't think baseball is going to be expanding anytime soon with all this going on uh you know maybe in a few years when the indians get moved or <laughs> i'm just joking but uh or you know someone finally gets another franchise somewhere else or Tampa Bay gets moved or something, but um, MLB Trade Rumors is doing 15 players, like a normal expansion draft. Um, I don't, I haven't seen them do the Indians one yet, and they've already done a bunch of teams, so this is their – this is the thing they came out with, so make sure you go to MLB Trade Rumors and um, check out how they're doing things so far. I know they've done the Yankees and the Red Sox and Baltimore and some other teams. I don't think they've done the Indians, but uh, it's been a cool series to read so far, so we thought it would be fun to – uh, mention the 15 players we would keep to the Indians and a normal expansion draft is um, anybody who has no or has major league service time um, is eligible unless they have no trade clause or they agree to wa- waive those rights or they have 10 and five rights. Um, so all those guys otherwise who are on your major league roster who have played a game in the majors before um, are subject to being drafted unless you protect them. So that means, you know, no, no prospects, no Daniel Johnsons, even though he's on the 40 man roster, he's not been in the majors. So that's the rules they're playing by, which are typical um, expansion draft rules that we've seen in the past. So um, go ahead and give me your 15 really quick. Who are you keeping if the Indian, if there was an expansion draft uh, for 2021, who would you keep on the Indians factoring in age and contract and money? Sure. So I'm going to go with Clev, Bieber, Savali, Plesak, Karinchak, Classe, uh, Roberto Perez, Mercado, uh, Jose Ramirez. I'm going to keep Tyler Naquin, but I'm on the fence. Got to have a right fielder, at least a platoon bat out there. Um, Fran Mil Reyes, Francisco Lindor, and uh, Jordan Lupo, Luplo, Carlos Carrasco, and Brad Hand. And I'm assuming with mine that this would be beginning of next season that there would be an expansion team. So I'm going to have Lindor for one more year. I'm going to have Brad Hand for one more year. Um, I'm floating Bobby Bradley and uh, Jake Bowers, Greg Allen, and a few other guys out there for them to grab in the expansion draft. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, I think the Indians list is pretty straightforward. I don't think there's a whole lot of debate on 15, given the parameters that are set from a normal expansion draft and how Emily Trader is doing this. I had Beaver, Beaver Club, Clev, Jose, Lindor, Mercado, Savali, Plesak, Carrasco, Rua Perez, Classe, Karen Shack, Reyes, Santana, Luplo. And my last guy came down to between Jeffrey Rodriguez and Tyler Naquin. Um, I actually thought maybe Jeffrey Rodriguez might be the arm to go with in that case, um, just because of Naquin getting a little more expensive in arbitration and already having kept uh, Luplo and Fran Mill and, and uh, Mercado. So you already qualify with three outfielders. So, yeah, I was I was operating to with the assumption that next year would be the year of the expansion team. But yeah, Bowers, Greg Allen, DeShields, all those guys are running the chopping block right there. And did you mention Carlos Santana? I, I didn't remember if you mentioned him. I didn't because he would be a free agent at the end of this year, and then he and her hand. Hernandez or free agents at the end. Yeah, of I didn't season. do Hernandez. I think um, yeah, I'm pretty sure the Indians have an option on Santana. Do they not? I don't know offhand. They they may. I'm thinking that he's in his last year right now. Let me see. I'm I'm pretty sure that they have an option on him for next year. It might be like so that leaves uh, Domingo. That leaves Domingo out there for whoever and Sandy Leon. You know, uh, you can joke and say, well, they're not going to draft somebody like that. But an expansion team is going to need a catcher, and they may go with a defensive guy that they could, um, you know, put in there for 60, 80 games um, because the the lack of depth at the position, you just never know what one team would um, covet at that point. Um, but I think the one surprise I came down to, like my last roster spot, really came down to like a Bobby Bradley and Carlos Carrasco and what I risk exposing Carrasco. And I might, um, if I wanted to free up some money and take the risk of him being drafted, uh, I would risk it because of the health concerns that he has currently. Um, and then also with the, with the, with the virus, I don't know if he's even going to play this season. I know that, uh, WWE wrestler Roman Reigns, uh, is not wrestling right now because he has the, he has leukemia similar to uh, Carlos Carrasco and he just feels like it's too great of a risk for him to, to take right now. So maybe Carrasco isn't even playing for a season or, or, or so, you know, um, you know, I, I did ultimately say I would protect him, but I did have some debate in my mind whether I protect him or, or Bobby Bradley. That does make a lot of sense with Carrasco. You're right. I don't know if teams would take a chance on, um, take a chance on drafting him. And also if he doesn't play, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I did put him on there just because he was a part of the five man rotation, I guess, but that's a good point to argue for sure. It just depends on who you value more than him, like Bradley or one of the outfielders or you Chang or yeah, Sandy Leone. Yeah. Yeah, If if they were to lose Sandy Leone hypothetically next year, they'd have to find another catcher to go behind Perez because there's nobody in the 40 man roster who has, um, major experience. The Indians do, by the way, have a, a seventeen and a half million dollar option for Carlos Santana for twenty twenty one. So that would be his next year. I can't imagine they wouldn't pick that option up. <laughs> yeah, I was I was unaware of the option, so I would protect him over. I would probably let me see. I'm going to drop Naquin and protect Carlos. Then you know if that's the case. I thought he was a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, I think I would definitely protect him. He's one of the best, you know, four hitters in the team. So, um, 
because they have him for another year, you definitely probably want to keep him. Interesting series. Like I said, it will be trade rumors came up with that idea uh, over the next couple of weeks. They're going to, they're going to actually do an expansion draft um, at the end of this. So after they do all their series on protecting players, they're going to eventually do a draft um, picking the guys who were went unprotected. So that'll be interesting to see how they fill out their roster. So check out their site to see um, what's going on with that in the next few weeks. Um, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to plug? We're kind of hitting the end here. Now, got a lot of draft content coming up this week uh, and in the weeks to come as the draft approaches. Check those out and uh, please give us a listen. Yeah, definitely check out another pod, our next podcast. Uh, we're going to be focusing more on the draft um, as well as some other news. That's bad. next. Actually, the next podcast is going to be basically most of the draft. Um, I don't see anything else on the agenda for that. So check out the next podcast. Thanks for listening to this one. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, you know, make us make sure you give us a five star review if you like what you're hearing and, uh, you know, leave comments. Let us know uh, what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Maybe we can do something different that you might like or you can drop us a suggestion. We are uh, we're both pretty agreeable people, I would say. So if people don't like something or they want to hear something, I think we would take into consideration. Um, for that. I'll, I'll add in there, Justin, um, real quick. I want to thank Blaze for, for the idea talking about uh, the the uh, Taxi Squad composition. He's one of my followers on Twitter. So thanks, Blaze. Ohio Jaguar, whichever <laughs> you prefer. Um, but thanks for that. And, you know, any of our followers on Twitter, mine, if you want to uh, throw out some suggestions for the podcast, feel free. You can DM me or um, just comment at the uh the site and, and even um post on twitter for our podcasts and, and put questions on there for them and we'll try to cover stuff in the future on on any questions or, or thoughts yeah make sure you're checking out the site the forums uh are up the the message boards are up again um they are free uh we don't have a, a premium board just yet but we are kind of kicking that around to see if any subscribers want a board just for themselves um, so if you're interested in that, let us know, um, and also subscribe. I know a lot of people are, uh, like we always say, money's a little tight for some people right now, but if you're, if you like what you're hearing, you want to read more of what we're talking about. Uh, if you want to read any of Willie's draft content that's coming up, um, that's all subscriber only content. That's going to include mock drafts. Um, all the big boards that are up. I just talked to Howard Cole or uh, Harold. I'm sorry. I keep getting his name wrong. Harold Cole. Last week from Georgia Prep Academy, Premier Academy, um, good interview with him. I'm going to talk to uh, Dylan Dingler, who's a catcher from Ohio State, who might be of some interest to the Indians. I'm going to talk to him this coming week. So that'll be up, and that'll be premium content. So if you want to read any of that stuff, uh, I'm going to talk to Dylan Dingler about you know how he's preparing for the draft and um, just the unique situation they're going through to get ready for an MLB draft and what he thinks his best skills are, what he hopes to improve on when he gets into pro ball. Um, so I'll be talking to him this week. So check out that if you're interested and you want to become a subscriber, it's only four 99 a month and, um, all, all kinds of good content behind the paywall. If you want to do that and still a lot of free content as well as the podcast, if, if you're, um, just interested in this kind of stuff and, and not really making a willing to make commitment, but the message boards are free and, uh, we're happy to take any kind of 
suggestions or uh, any sort of um, conversation you want to have about the Indians and the system and what things look like in 2020. I have no idea. Um, so thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to me ramble for Willie. I'm Justin and thanks for tuning in another episode of smoke signals. Thank you.